woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, and she had spent all she had on doctors, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, Don't be afraid, just believe, and she will be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's mother and father. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand and said, My child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. Buenos días. La lectura esta mañana es, se encuentra en Lucas capítulo 8, versículos 40 al 56. Cuando Jesús regresó, la multitud se alegró de verlo, pues todos estaban esperándolo. En esto llegó un hombre llamado Jairo, que era un jefe de la sinagoga. Arrojándose a los pies de Jesús, le suplicaba que fuera a su casa, porque su única hija, de unos 12 años, se estaba muriendo. Jesús se puso en camino y las multitudes lo apretujaban. Había entre la gente una mujer que hacía 12 años padecía de hemorragias, sin que nadie pudiera sanarla. Ella se le acercó por detrás y le tocó el borde del manto, y al instante cesó su hemorragia. ¿Quién me ha tocado? preguntó Jesús. Como todos lo negaban haberlo tocado, Pedro le dijo, Maestro, son multitudes las que te aprietan y te oprimen. No, alguien me ha tocado, replicó Jesús. Yo sé que de mí ha salido poder. La mujer, al ver que no podía pasar inadvertida, se acercó temblando y se arrojó a sus pies. En presencia de toda la gente, contó por qué lo había tocado y cómo había sido sanada al instante. Hija, tu fe te ha sanado, le dijo Jesús. Vete en paz. Todavía estaba hablando Jesús cuando alguien llegó de la casa de Jairo, jefe de la sinagoga, para decirle, tu hija ha muerto, no molestes más al maestro. Al oír esto, Jesús le dijo a Jairo, no tengas miedo, cree nada más y ella será sanada. Cuando llegó a la casa de Jairo, no dejó que nadie entrara con él, excepto Pedro, Juan y Jacobo, y el padre y la madre de la niña. Todos estaban llorando, muy afligidos por ella. Dejen de llorar, les dijo Jesús, no está muerta, sino dormida. Entonces ellos empezaron a burlarse de él porque sabían que estaba muerta, pero él la tomó de la mano y le dijo, niña, levántate. Recobró la vida y al instante se levantó. Jesús mandó darle de comer, los padres se quedaron atónitos, pero él les advirtió que no contaran a nadie de lo que había sucedido. you, Ben and Oscar. Uh, next week, we're going to be starting a, a new sermon series, Living by Faith in a Multi-Faith City. Uh, it'll be a four-part study of the book of Daniel. 
And so if you like, you can go ahead and start reading ahead, get familiar with Daniel in the Old Testament, living my faith in a multi-faith city. Please pray for that upcoming. Stay tuned uh, next week. But first, we've got one more, one more sidewalk encounter with Jesus to look at. And so let's say a word of prayer uh, before we do this. Jesus, we're asking for your help uh, to really show us with new eyes, with fresh eyes and hearts, uh, who you are as this writing, this story records your interaction with people, your love for people. We pray that you would give us your spirit that you would um, intrude upon our lives in a loving, gracious, kind way, that you would disrupt whatever is wrongly comfortable, that you would comfort us in any way that we need your comfort. So please come, in Jesus' name, amen. As far as we could tell, they were complete strangers of each other, this man and this woman in Galilee. As far as we could tell, their paths had never crossed before until this remarkable day. Uh, Very different people, these two, coming from two different social worlds. And yet they had one important thing in common. Twelve years, we're told. Twelve years earlier, a little baby was born into this man's life. A little girl, his daughter, his only daughter. Maybe his only child, maybe the joy of his life. And then one day she gets sick, and it doesn't seem all that serious in the beginning. You can almost hear it. Don't worry. She'll get over it, he would tell his wife. She'll get over it until it was clear that she wouldn't. Things got worse until one day the doctor uttered those dreaded words, there's nothing more that we can do. Twelve years. And 12 years earlier, it was then that the bleeding began. It didn't seem like a big deal at first, but then it didn't stop, which is when she started getting a little nervous. Nervous, you know, unstoppable menstrual bleeding. It'll do that, right? Some of you know that. People started whispering about it in town, and then they started avoiding her. I mean, what if it's contagious, the neighbors would mutter. Besides, they might say, it's kind of gross. Let's avoid her, but not make it look like we are. The birthday party invitation stopped coming, so did the synagogue newsletter. Well, what didn't stop coming in were the medical bills. And now she was out of money. Now she was out of options. Actually, she was out of hope. Until today, maybe. Until today, this day, when this man, this woman, they hear the same thing. That the man Jesus, the rabbi, the prophet, the teacher, some say the Messiah, was back in town. Jesus. Maybe he could help. Maybe he could heal my daughter. My only daughter. Maybe he can stop the bleeding. Maybe he can heal me. And he does. All that and more. Four things I want to point out, things that we can observe, things that we learn about what Jesus does. Things that stand out in this text. Number one, Jesus stops. It's a fast-paced narrative. You notice there's very little dialogue in the beginning. It moves from one thing to another that's probably intentional by the author Luke. 
And the emphasis again and again are crowds, crowds, crowds. In verse 40, we're told that he was welcomed by a crowd after returning to Galilee. Verse 42, we're told that on the way to Jairus' home, the crowds almost crush him. In verse 45, when Peter says to Jesus, Master, the people, the crowds are crowding and pressing in against you. Maybe it's tens, maybe hundreds of people surrounding Jesus, and yet he gives attention to one person. And yet, while a whole parade of people are following him and moving around, brothers and sisters, Jesus stops. Because love stops. See, pride never stops for people. Pride keeps moving. Pride says what I'm doing and where I'm going is really, really important because I am really important. Love says this person in front of me is more important than my agenda. Love puts others first. And not just when it's convenient. You know, even when something urgent is pressing in on you, after all... Jesus stops for the woman even when he's tending to an emergency, a dying girl. You see, to stop is to love. To stop is to surrender, to subject, to submit myself to another person. To give someone else control of that moment to let go of it myself because stopping means lovingly allowing someone to intrude in on your personal space and personal time, doesn't it? I mean, have you noticed that this whole story is a chain of one interruption after another? Jesus is interrupted by Jairus, and then his interruption is interrupted by a second interruption, the sick lady. And then this second interruption is interrupted by another interruption, the news that Jairus' daughter actually did die, which is actually more of the first interruption. Love allows yourself to get interrupted because people matter. When one author, Paul Miller, reflects on this passage in a wonderful book called Love Walked Among Us, I highly recommend it. This is what he writes. It's tough to love people when they constantly come into into your space, demanding attention. But if we are always in control deciding whom and when we will love, then we risk having a weak imitation of love. If we aren't open to our schedules being interrupted or our bank accounts tapped, then we might be fooling ourselves as to our own goodness, because love gives. Dear friends, have you stopped for someone lately? Dropped everything to give your undivided attention to someone in need? That's what love does. It might be for a friend needing your listening ear. It might be for a child seeking your care or maybe just conversation. It might be for a neighbor needing a hand And it might feel like the strangest thing in the world for you because we live in such a fast-paced world, don't we? A world of drive-throughs, a world that celebrates and even rewards multitasking, texting while walking, doing business and life on the go. Dear friends, 
what might it look like for us this week to do a little bit more stopping, which is to say to do a little bit more loving. Jesus stops. Jesus also, secondly, serves both the high and the low. I mean, here's something remarkable in this story, that Jesus is able to connect with two very different people. First, he takes care of someone that you might describe as an absolute somebody. The father of the sick girl is a synagogue leader. He's a man of status, of influence, of social power. He's got a title. It stands out that we're even given his name, Jairus. And then after that, Jesus takes care of what you might call an absolute nobody. At least as society would have seen her in that day. She's nameless. That's intentional too. She's broke. We're told in verse 43 that she had spent all she had on doctors because of her illness. And yet in the same very moment, in the same walk through town, Jesus is able to relate to and connect with both the high and the low out of love. It's very unusual because most of us aren't like that. We're mostly only comfortable with people just like ourselves or maybe one group or another, maybe intimidated or overly enraptured by people with status and power, maybe intimidated by people on the street asking us for help. What is it for you? Don't we need the spirit of Jesus who had such a firm, solid core to himself? He knew who he was in the eyes of the Father. His heart was filled with the love of his Father, that he was able to move across barriers and boundaries and serve people of a wide variety of backgrounds, both high and low, rich and poor, befriending all. You see, this is the fatal flaw of the Occupy movement as it was. It assumed that the only way to love the poor is to hate the rich. Jesus came to save the 99% and the 1%. That's what this story tells us. Because no matter how much we've got in our back pockets, we are all sinners and we are all in need of a Savior. And so Jesus moves into the lives of every kind of person in every walk of life. I want to love like that, don't you? To be able to relate to people of the full social spectrum. In other words, to be like Jesus and to love like him. But thirdly, we see Jesus do something else. We see that Jesus covers our shame. You see, we said that this woman was sick. We said she was broke. But she was also one more thing. She was an outcast. This is why she's so shy, even secretive, about the way she's trying to get help from Jesus, trying to touch him without him noticing. See, people in that time and in that ancient culture, they would have been disgusted by her and by her physical condition. We actually know in ancient Jewish traditions from places like Leviticus 15 that this woman was bleeding so she would have been regarded as ceremonially unclean and socially unacceptable. 
She wasn't just sick. She was set aside. She was forgotten. This was a woman that's afflicted by shame. What is shame? Shame is that deep sense that you're somehow dirty, unacceptable, because of something you did or maybe something someone did to you. It's not the same thing as guilt. I think we're a little bit more familiar with that word, that experience. Guilt makes you feel bad. You feel wrong, like you fall short of something. Guilt makes you feel bad. Shame makes you feel ugly. Shame makes you feel naked, exposed. And you wish you could get away and just hide from other people and even yourself. Do you feel that way today? We all have a little bit of that in us somewhere, sometime. And this is why she's trying to hide. She comes forward only after, we're told, seeing that she could not go unnoticed. Translated literally, it reads, the woman saw that she wasn't hidden. Trying to hide. And here's Jesus covering her shame. He actually stops and he kind of makes a public scene, doesn't he? He stops, he says, he asks, who touched me? And he invites everyone in the crowd, maybe for the first time in 12 years, to notice this dear woman. And he's not doing it himself. He's making sure everyone else on the street does too communicating to her and to you. We notice you. We have not forgotten you. I think Jesus does this deliberately. He wants to be very public about his care of her. There were lots of other ways he could have been a lot more discreet. But he's trying to restore her public standing and give strength to her heart. He wants to make sure that not just she, but everybody knows that it's okay that she touched him. And that now she is made clean and he's okay with her. That's why Luke in verse 47 points out that she told her whole story in the presence of all the people. You just have to picture this woman, maybe crumpled over, maybe still getting over residual shame, who'd been hiding for years, set aside and marginalized, holding court before tens, maybe hundreds of people, telling them about her life, knowing that she's loved by the king. Don't we need that? A covering of our shame, a security of heart, assurance that in Jesus you are clean. He covers her shame, he honors her. When everyone else was calling her dirty, Jesus leans in in verse 48, he calls her daughter. Covers her shame, he can cover yours too. You see, here's the good news of grace that the seeing eye of God is upon you. You really are exposed, naked before him. 
He sees all your filth and flaws, all your ugliness. You can fool others, but you can't fool God. And he has every right to set you aside and condemn and reject and forget you forever, even mock you. And yet here is this God that we see glimpses of in Jesus. This God who sees all of your ugliness and mine too and loves you. And loves me. This Jesus who subjected himself to mockery. Soldiers spitting on him and crowds laughing at him. This Jesus who was literally exposed naked on the cross. And worse, his soul was exposed. Exposed to the judgment of God that we deserved. Jesus who took our shame upon him that we might be covered by him. As we're told in Hebrews 12, this call to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You are naked, dear friends, but God covers you. We're told again and again in places like Galatians 3.27, you are clothed in Christ. Do you receive his clothing? Do you receive his healing of your shame? Jesus stops. Jesus loves and embraces both the high and the low. Jesus covers our shame. And lastly, Jesus responds to faith. He responds to faith. He does, of course, heal this woman in an instant. He goes to Jairus' house, and in the privacy of the family and his inner circle, he does heal this little girl, cares for her needs. And what was it that prompted him, even drew him in, into these people's stories, their lives? Surely they were surrounded by other sick and desperate people. What was it, we're told again and again, it was their faith. It was their faith. In verse 48, we're told that Jesus said to her daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. In verse 50, hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid. Just believe and she will be healed. When Jesus says there, just believe, he isn't saying, come on, this is easy. Just believe already. Some of you feel that way. That God says faith is easy. Do it already. Why don't you? No, he's saying just believe, literally only believe. In other words, there's nothing else you need to do, nothing else you need to bring, nothing else you need to accomplish, no way you need to clean yourself up except to bring your nasty, desperate self and say, Jesus, if only I could get a piece of you, that would be enough to rescue me. Just a piece. Just a touch of the, the edge of your cloak, of your garment. Simple faith, not sophisticated faith, not complicated faith, desperate faith. Jesus commends her willingness to come to him empty. He commends her confidence in him. Desperate faith. 
like I've got nowhere else to go faith. Like no one can save me faith. Like no one can clean me and bring me to God righteous and holy. That no one can fix my life and no one can fill my heart and no one can secure my future but you alone, faith. Again, as Paul Miller comments in the same book I quoted from earlier, he writes, faith is not some kind of spiritual energy. It's realizing that we don't have the resources for living. Faith is turning to Jesus and saying, I can't save my daughter. You need to. I can't save myself. I can't stop the bleeding. And I can't stop my sinning. Faith goes to God with our weakness and our desperation in the same way that Zacchaeus climbed a tree to just get a glimpse of Jesus. In the same way that a bleeding woman plows through a crowd just to touch an edge of his cloak. In the same way that a paralyzed man's friends rip off roof shingles to bring their friend to Jesus because they've got nowhere else to go. Where do you go? Where do you go? When you need help, when you need forgiveness, when you need atonement, when you need power, because you know you're weak. Jesus is looking for simple faith, which sometimes is the hardest thing to bring. A faith that says, I come to you empty handed, not to impress you, but simply as both these dear people did, to fall before your feet. Lord, I run to you. No one else will do. In troubled times, when the sin in my life overwhelms me, when trials overtake me, Lord, I run to you and you alone. Will you do that today? Let's pray. So Jesus, we're coming to you with empty hands and hungry hearts. We all have a little bit of desperation in us somewhere, some part of our life. And if all of us would see our brokenness and sin for what it is, we would all fall to our knees and say, wash me, Savior, or I die. Heal me, Savior, or I die. Give us that heart and then lift us up with joy and shamelessness and forgiveness and healing and power and restoration. This is what you do. This is why you came. This is what you did back then. This is what you do today. We look forward to how you will. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together and let's sing, Lord, I run to you. Amen.